Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Here we will delicately and tactfully walk through each psychological issue. Psych! This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. This is not intended as individual, psychological, or medical advice. Please proceed at your own risk and always defer to your individual medical or mental health care team. Basically, don't make it weird, guys. Right. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shit Your Shrink Thanks. Going through the big D, I don't mean Dallas. I can't believe what the judge had to tell us. I got the Jeep and she got the palace. Palace! I'm going through the big D and don't mean Dallas. <laughs> sweet, sweet Jesus with this country song. <laughs> I actually kind of like that. I don't know that song, but I liked it. That was That made me feel something. <laughs> it's a fun song. You should look up all the lyrics. It's yeah. kind of funny. Uh, so what's what's that song about? It's about divorce. Divorce. Yes, and that is our topic area for today on Shit Your Shrink Things. Shit Your Shrink Things is a podcast where two shrinks tell you what we think about life, mental health. We give you some new facts about different skills to try. Then we try them out ourselves. We do them medium well, <laughs> and then you can watch what we do well and don't do well, and then try to improve your skills based on how we messed up. Yeah, learn um, from our mistakes. <laughs> yeah. We also give you hot gossip on our own lives. Hopefully that is a fun part for you. We're not even sure if it is, but we do it anyway. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I uh, I did get a listener email in. We'll have to uh, hit that at some point. Maybe we'll do that as what's good today, but... Starting with what's good, we always do a segment chatting about some fun story that the other person had, or maybe even a listener write-in, or maybe even just a like a poem or something like that. So right. what's good with you this week, Michaela? My what's good is yesterday I got to go have pedicures with my sisters and mom. It was a girl's day with no kids or no husbands, and it was glorious stupendous tell me all about it how was the uh how were the interactions how was the pedicure tell me everything uh, it was just it was just really nice to get away uh, my sister's husband mm -hmm. wanted us all to go get like massages but we were a little too slow to get those scheduled so we just went to a you mm -hmm. know a place that was able to get us all in for pedicures around the same time and and mm -hmm. you know they had a little massage chair so that was nice and we kind of just chatted and all got our our feet massaged and painted up pretty for spring slash summer. So it was just it was just really nice to to get away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's touching you or yelling at you. Right, and that's a very exciting thing. Right. Well, touching your feet. Right. But... Yeah. Nobody's like pulling at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Ex yeah I do know what you. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. Right. <laughs> my my BB is having a mama phase right now. So Same. I, uh, yeah, there's like, you go to poop and they're there. Yeah. Uh, pulling themselves on the toilet near you. And you're like, okay, probably don't touch that. Or you go to have a bath and they're like, how about I go in there also? Right. <laughs> you go to like put on your makeup. They're like, I wear makeup. And you're like, mm, I don't think you do. <laughs> I don't you're think so you need this. are so good at like grabbing the wispy parts of your hair too, I feel like. like the, yeah. Just... And just like. <laughs> 
Yank yoinking it. them out of your skull. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And then I don't know about your kid, but, but mine puts the hair into his mouth afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, that's not. That's savage. <laughs> savage. That's like, it's like some Hannibal Lecter shit. Please don't do that. <laughs> uh, I want all good. of you, mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mother, I hunger. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's a great what's good. Getting a little time to yourself. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Tell me about what is your what's good. So you listener write in. Is that what it is? Yeah, I have two. I'll <gasps> do the listener write in second. So okay. my, my first my first what's good is that I had mentioned. So Michaela and I always talk a little bit before we record the episode and I was saying I'm a little low energy because I drank yesterday and I don't, I don't typically do that. I'm not a I'm not a partier. And yesterday we went out and uh, we were meeting up with some friends who were from out of town and some friends who were in town and we went to this rooftop bar and I Ooh. did not know this, but it was the Kentucky Derby. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody was in those silly hats and they had their like sundresses on and it was a whole thing. Everybody was really, really lit. The uh, energy. <laughs> there was there was some betting on these horse races. We actually went to a bar that is like the mascot of the bar is a horse. So I did not realize that we were going to this bar that's mascot is a horse that was at the Kentucky Derby. So it was this bananas environment and uh, people were all dressed up. And one of the things that happened was we saw a group of humans that were dressed as old lady and old men. Um, like like elderly folks, they yeah. had like they like painted th- their was, faces like and stuff. They were like twenty year olds. They had like some of them had like wrinkles on their faces. Um, they all had like different wigs. They were using like different assisted devices, like canes and walkers. <laughs> they all had like suspenders, and some of them had put like pillows in their butt to make their butt look big. It was crazy. Oh, it was crazy. Fun. Um, one of them. <laughs> so they got stopped by a group of what I think were a bunch of frat boys. Okay. It was this woman who was dressed as a very elderly woman got stopped by these frat boys. And they started asking her if she had hard candy. And she starts digging through her purse as like a joke. Right. And they're like, oh, there's no way. And like, she did. We're joking. No way. And she was digging in there for like a minute and she produces a candy cane, hands it to these men, and they all lose their mind and she just walks out of the bar. So that's part of what I got to see yesterday. I was like, am I in a fever dream right now? Like, what's (laughs) happening? (laughs) So that was uh, the first one. That is prepared to a whole nother level. Yeah, no, she knew she was committed. She was like Daniel Day Lewis. I love it. She was method acting. (laughs) Uh, and then the next thing that's cool, and I think I wanted to just uh, introduce it to you, too, is that we have a listener from Denmark. Um, and this listener from Denmark wrote in and just had a quick question for us. So oh. I thought, eh, let's, you know, it's not for us specifically, but I thought, well, maybe we can maybe we can make a whole episode on it. Uh, but we can also just acknowledge it and, and do like a little quickie on it as well. Okay. So the question is this. Hello. Suggestion slash question for the podcast. As a therapist, how do you create trust and safety in the therapeutic relationship? And how is it possible for a client to trust and feel safe enough to open up with a therapist when the client doesn't trust anyone? Asking for a friend, winky face. (laughs) Greeting from Denmark. Uh, And I thought that was really sweet. So I just let them know that, uh, you know, our podcasts are a little bit ahead, but I wanted to 
get your your vibe on what do you normally do to create trust and safety in a therapeutic relationship with somebody who just really is a little skeptical, sketched out about us. (laughs) Understandable, by the way. I think that's a great question. And I think it's something that uh, we don't always talk about in therapy. Like, so we've talked about the need to build rapport. And that's what what it is. And a lot of times with these evidence-based therapies, they don't like factor in that initial Mm. rapport building. Like Mm -hmm. before you can dive into some of these therapies, half the time you just have to build rapport in the beginning. So that's, you know, that active listening, the empathy, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, some people it's hard to get them like talking, you know, it's almost like Mm -hmm. pulling teeth initially. Mm -hmm. But once Mm -hmm. you get enough teeth pulled, I feel like then eventually it starts to flow. But you, you know, you're active listening you're asking uh, open-ended questions. You're being really engaged and empathetic. And maybe you find something that you relate on. Like sometimes I'll mm-hmm. do a little bit of, you know, self-reveal. Like, oh, yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, me too, bro. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how I start to build that trust. Because I have worked with some people who are, you know, not close very, tr- yeah, very, very close book. Um, mm-hmm. But eventually I get them to open up. But sometimes it takes a a few sessions before they're really yeah. opening up. So like those first few sessions, I'm like doing real basics um, mm-hmm. with rapport building. And then, you know, if, as far as like skills, I don't always like dive into skills right away. I'm like, let's just try about each other. Yeah. 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 How about yeah. you? Yeah. You're an open-ended question, reflection, and some mild self-disclosure. Right. And that helps. Yeah. I'm very much a fan of consistency. Like, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to then ask you if it's... Well, first I ask, hey, here are three things. Which of these things do you want to do? So I kind of give them the control. Yeah, yeah. um, That they get to decide whatever it is that's in their heart. Then I will say, okay, so now that you've decided what's in your heart, here are the things that I am going to do. Is that okay with you? Then they say yes or no. So I get consent a lot. Like I try to give a lot of power back to the client. Um, so consent and then letting them kind of direct the therapy session. And then the other thing is for me personally is a lot about, um, you know, don't make any sudden moves exactly like what you're saying and just be really consistent. Like if you say yeah. you're going to call at a certain time, you call at that time. Right. If you say you're going to send an email, you send the email. If you say you're going to build a specific way, you do it. Like you just build trust over time based on like the consistency in your behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it takes time. People don't, it wouldn't be shocking for somebody to take a couple months, honestly, to really feel okay and comfortable. And I think that's normal. And I think we just kind of act like you just need to immediately be open with your therapist. But I think a, some of us have had like not great experiences in therapy or right. with mental health before or we've just had interpersonal relationships where trust has been breached and so it's harder for us to open up and so yeah it's actually pretty normal that a client does that and they're just trying to protect themselves so yeah that's what i thought i would i thought i would just bring that up uh so thank you so much listener that would be a great episode and you know it makes me think so you know how i've done those emotional equations in the past and i don't i might i was just thinking that yes i might have talked about this one but trust is predictability plus consistency over time. So, you know, like Sunny was saying, being consistent, being predictable, you know, following through, giving options, like that's going to mm-hmm. build trust and you just got to give them a little bit of time, you know. Mm-hmm. And if it's not driving, right, then if they aren't opening up, 
you know, there are some people who I've worked with where eventually I'm like, listen, man, if we want to get anywhere, you you got to eventually you got to eventually share yeah. some shit with me. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, and then you kind of give them that option. Like, are are we going to dive in and do this? Or, you know, do you mm-hmm. feel like you need a different person to do it with? Like, if you're not mm-hmm. feeling comfortable with me, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes you do have to have that hard conversation if you've been working with them for a while and you're still not getting anywhere. I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. I love it. Yeah, maybe we'll think about having a full episode on this, but we just wanted to answer you, listener from Denmark, and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That's so awesome. Yay, Denmark. Oh, I want to visit. Yay, Denmark. <laughs> uh, so we also wanted to check in on how did the outside of podcast experimentation go? So, you know, kind of what changes or improvements would you make? What did you learn? That sort of stuff. Mine was being cognizant of that emotional contagion and just like my emotions in general and uh, yeah I totally probably didn't really do it to be honest I kept like literally throughout the week I'd be like what was my homework again what am I supposed Mm -hmm. to be doing (laughs) I don't remember Mm -hmm. what I'm doing <laughs> so I didn't really do a good job because like, and then I'd be like, oh yeah, my emotions, and then I'd be, then I'd be on to the next, and then later I'd be like, what was my homework? What am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> so it just, I didn't really do a good job of anything this week. Uh, memory yeah. was not my friend. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I I was aware of emotion contagion, and then I like just didn't do anything about it. Like literally being at the bar with the Kentucky Derby and everybody's amped. And then because everybody's amped, I drink too much. Like that's, I was aware it was happening and I just kept the train moving. It was bad. Or like I did have a lot of people. It was a, where I was at, it was exams week um, for a bunch of this, the students I had and everybody was pretty stressed out. And there were a couple of people who were acting real real turn and i Mm. you know what actually in that situation i did realize that there was some stress going on outside of me and i didn't take that on so that was pretty cool there you go yeah so i did a little bit of it and i did um i had a confrontation with someone this week and uh they were very angry and i managed to stay cool i didn't get angry because they were angry it just kind of was very firm so maybe i did do it yeah, I think you did it where it really counted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So what are we talking about this week? This week, we are going to be talking about divorce and its impact on our mental health and well-being. This is likely going to be a mini-series as divorce is a pretty complicated beast. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking a lot about how difficult and impactful a divorce can be. But first, we also want to acknowledge that divorce is often a healthy choice, and we are making it when our partnership is no longer a partnership. So I wanted us to start off with just being like, yes, this is going to be emotionally hard and draining to go through divorce. There's a lot of mental health things that can kind of get lit. But at the same Mm -hmm. token, it is a positive choice a lot of the time for people. So I wanted to kind of go through that stuff first. Yeah, there's kind of like a cognitive error or fallacy that like you're going to somehow find the perfect choice mm-hmm. and that, you know, somehow there's going to be a choice without some sort of suffering. But every choice has both positives and suffering associated with it. Yeah. And sometimes when you have to engage in a divorce, sometimes it's like 
this is the most values consistent choice and the suffering that's most consistent with your values at that time. Um, And so it's, I mean, it's not something that people mostly want to go through, but Mm -hmm. it does sometimes end up being the healthy choice. And so for most, the decision to go through a divorce doesn't come very lightly. It's something that a person and or a couple has thought about. They've expressed their concerns for a long time. Um, And so it's just, it's a terminal status that, nobody wanted to get to but here we are and right. now we have to deal with it right and so here are some of the common reasons that people do get a divorce mm-hmm. uh, the first one is just lack of compatibility so some divorcing couples may have different values different parenting mm-hmm. styles different goals different attitudes towards money like what how they're That's earning spending one. it is savings They might have different religious differences, or they could just be simply drifting apart uh, and turning to others outside of the marriage for their friendship. Uh, Or it might be there's just no common interests. The relationship has stagnated, um, you know, leaving one or both of the parties bored. Like there is just some distance, some drift, some unaligned values, you know, Mm -hmm. that incompatibility is very legitimate reason. Yeah. And I think particularly, not always, but often when people get married very, very young, like we're still developing and growing. Mm -hmm. And like some people develop and grow with their partner and their values kind of like align over time more and more. But then it would it's also kind of normal if you get married earlier on, like that your that your values don't. It turns out as you're growing up, your values drift away from one another. And that happens. Um, And so, yeah, absolutely. Lack of compatibility can be a reason. Also, lack of quality communication. So often couples will say we can't communicate, and this usually means that it's like unproductive arguing or dishonesty or withdrawal, avoiding, um, or stonewalling evasion. And this is sometimes about communication skills, but it often makes deeper underlying problems that couples are having or avoiding or afraid to talk about, or it often means that. So yeah, yeah. so communication issues. I don't know. Did you put the four horsemen in here? of the I relationship apocalypse. I didn't. I, I should have. I'll say something about it really quick. So yeah. the four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse are stonewalling, which is like completely ignoring your partner or I'm um, just like refusing to have conversations about certain issues. Defensiveness, which is like always turning around the issue on your partner or like making excuses for the issue. Um, criticism, that one's pretty clear. Like, you suck, you're always late, um, mm-hmm. something like that, constant criticism. And then contempt, which is almost like a disgust. So think nonverbals, like eye rolling or just like huffing or just like sneering. That would all be contempt. Mm-hmm. Um, and those four, when they're present, are usually like the four horsemen or the relationship apocalypse in regards to communication. So Right. I didn't come up with that. That's from the Gottman Institute. I'm yes. not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That'd be cool. I think we've maybe talked about it before when we did like Probably. a, pro, you know, like a relationship problem solving or communication. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like we've talked mm-hmm. about it once or twice, but yeah, I agree. those are the, the, the bad, the things that are going to lead to poor communication and poor relationships. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's the, what's the next thing? The next is just constant conflict. So Mm. intense and frequent fighting is often toxic to a marriage. In a marriage, you know, there is always going to be some kind of conflict, right? You know, we're two different people who are living together. Um, But couples who find themselves arguing about 
million different things and often sometimes arguing about the same things over and over and over without resolution may decide it's just time to part ways. Mm -hmm. Very true. Infidelity is another big one. So when there is an affair, the wound is pretty deep. And whether it can be healed or not kind of depends on the partner's willingness to work hard and repair and or forgive. And that one's a pretty common one that ends a marriage. Lack of intimacy is the next one. So intimacy extends beyond the bedroom. So this is emotional closeness. This is trust. This is respect. Those are the things that glue and hold couples together. So without intimacy, marriages can really feel cold and distant. And I mean, there is sometimes, you know, a lack of libido or a lack of affection that can be part of it, right? When we aren't feeling intimate in that ways, that it's pretty hard to feel intimate in other ways. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Very true. Very true. Another really unfortunately common one is some sort of abuse. Mm -hmm. And so abuse can take many forms, physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, or financial. And unfortunately, many people tolerate abuse for a very long time. Uh, It may not because they are choosing to tolerate it, maybe because they're feeling kind of trapped and Mm -hmm. there are very good reasons why they're unable to leave. Uh, They might struggle to leave due to potential violence or financial constraints. Mm -hmm. Abuse is usually targeted towards one of the partners, uh, but it often may be targeted towards the children as well. And I I often see that that's when the divorce finally takes hold. Yeah. Yeah. Is whenever it comes towards the children is a lot of times when people decide like this was tolerable when it was with just me and now it's no longer Mm -hmm. tolerable. I have to get out of here. Um. And in some cases, the abused partner will need legal protection and help to leave and end the marriage as well. But that is certainly one of the things that can end a marriage. Yeah. Another big one is addiction. So that Mm -hmm. could be alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, shopping, prescription meds. Um, A person struggling with addiction may have a stronger relationship with their addiction than with their spouse. So when the person with addiction struggles to or refuses to engage in treatment or relapses frequently, the relationship becomes threatened, the marriage kind of can get unstable, and Mm -hmm. uh, their addiction is often causing, you know, many other issues in the the relationship with their family, with their finances. You know, there's Mm going to be probably the intimacy stuff. There might be even infidelity stuff. Like, it's normally a multi-tiered thing when addiction comes into play. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, it can be worked through, but a lot of times people are not yet at that stage of change. And so it's like there's there's nothing to work through because that person's not interested in really working through it at Mm -hmm. that time yet. A 2013 study using both quantitative and qualitative methods found that the most commonly reported major contributor of divorce was lack of commitment, infidelity, conflict arguing, and the most common final straw reasons were infidelity, domestic violence, or substance use. So those are the ones that are the straw that breaks the camel's back, essentially. Right. And so, you know, now let's just talk about some of some of the statistics of divorce. So divorce is really common. Uh, in yeah. fact, according to the CDC, 2.9 out of every 1,000 people get divorced as of 2017 was when that was taken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in case that number seems lower than you thought, some perspective, compare that to 6.9 per 1,000 who get married. Yeah, right, right. That makes sense. Uh, 
So a little silver lining is that while it's clear that divorce rates increased from 1990 to 2008, particularly for women over the age of 35, the rate is now declining. In other words, young married couples are more likely to stay married than baby boomer counterparts. And, you know, think about it this way, like on some level, divorce does mean that women are now exercising choice. Yes. So I don't hate that. that. I was going to say, yeah, (laughs) I don't totally hate that the number is high because that means people are doing what they feel is right for them. They aren't staying right, staying in a relationship that makes them feel trapped or confined or taken advantage of. Right. And I think particularly for older generations, it's really frowned upon. And now that it's a little bit more socially acceptable, people who maybe haven't been in good situations are realizing it's not a good situation mm-hmm. between, you know, 90 through 2008. And we're like, you know what? I'm good. I got to get out of here. And that's OK. If that's the situation, that's all right. Yeah. A 2011 study looked at the correlations of mental health disorders and marriage and divorce. This study uses data from epidemiologic surveys conducted in 19 high, middle, and low-income countries to examine the associations between psychiatric disorders and subsequent marriage, and data on 12 of these countries then was used to examine the associations between psychiatric disorders and subsequent divorce. So interestingly, mental disorders were positively associated with early marriage, so prior to the age of 18, and then negatively associated with marriage at later ages. So Having a mental health diagnosis meant you might be more likely to get married early, and if you don't get married early, you might not get married in your later years. Interesting. Yeah. and they, interesting. They also found that mental health struggles correlated with a 12% increased risk of divorce. And there were like mm-hmm. three disorders in general that were kind of more highly associated, and that was like a specific phobia, which I thought was interesting. Very interesting. Major depression, and then alcohol abuse. Yeah. And you wonder how many of these overlap, like probably depression and alcohol abuse. Right. Yeah. It's, yep, that makes a lot of sense. And, oh, interesting, a study in Denmark found, what's up, our Danish listeners? (laughs) Yay! Um, Denmark, doing the good, good research. So a study in Denmark found that across genders, higher levels of divorce and conflict are found to predict worse mental health and worse physical health for women. That doesn't shock me, to be honest, even when controlling for other sociodemographic variables and divorcee characteristics. Um, So that makes a lot of sense to me. And among men, lower age and higher income predicted better physical health, while more children, more previous divorces and participant divorce initiation, newer partner status and lower levels of divorce conflict better mental uh, predicted better mental health. So. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of see here that divorce really does take its toll. It's mm-hmm. it's a chicken and the egg, certainly, so that, right. you know, mental health conditions do predict a divorce on some level, but not as much as you might think. Like 12% to me, it's enough. It's, it's statistically significant, but it's not as much as you would think. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And then among women, higher income, fewer previous divorces, new partner status, and lower levels of divorce conflict predicted better physical health, while higher income, participant divorce initiation, newer partner status, and lower levels of divorce conflict predicted better mental health. Yes. So that makes a lot of sense. Better physical health for one and better mental health for the other. Yeah. Yeah. And a 2011 study of divorced women in India 
showed that at the time of the divorce, the women had high rates of depression, anger, low self-esteem, and anxiety. However, the year after the divorce, the women showed large improvements in their mental health and overall coping. So again, you know, going through it, it's going to be tough. You're probably going to have a highlight of, you know, symptoms that are going to be popping off. But in the Mm -hmm. long run, you might be feeling better. You know, it it can be the healthy choice. We just kind of got to muck through it in the in the moment yeah my clinical experience has has been very frequently that a year seems to be there's no magic timeline right like you seem to it like everybody grieves differently and on different time periods but it does seem like a year of getting through all the like holidays and birthdays Mm -hmm. and like seasons and new things once on your own does seem to help um and usually you're out people are feeling a lot lot better yeah afterwards but it's you know everybody is different right absolutely well and it depends on how long that divorce t- i mean sometimes those things get drawn out for a flipping year so you know mm-hmm. it might not be till the year after it's finally finalized you know depending on how long that whole separation process takes yeah Oof. and sometimes custody and how often you have to see that person right modifies how your mental health goes right um, really really high conflict divorces and high conflict custody battles really are a mediator moderator for mental health issues although some aspects of separation and divorce come with a sense of relief it is a major life transition which often comes with struggles and growing pains so the logistics alone are stressful honestly so dividing assets homes money maybe moving you got to figure out custody like i mentioned in any court mediation or involvement and just like the finances of the court process i mean mm-hmm. it's a lot everything is disrupted i mean your routine your responsibilities your home your relationship with extended family and friends and even your identity Right. Because there's when we get married to someone, we kind of begin to create an identity of this couple. Mm -hmm. Um, So that level of change and transition is enough to feel overwhelmed and anxious, even in the best of circumstances. Mm -hmm. But often these logistical changes are also complicated and influenced by all the other hurts, the Mm -hmm. anger, the unresolved issues and the ineffective patterns within the relationship. Yeah. So, it's so funny. People are always like, I can't believe he or she is doing this. And I'm like, I can't. That's why you're leaving. Can't yeah. you? Like, this was, they did this for 10 years. Like, of course, they're being, you know, selfish yes. financially. This is literally the reason you are getting divorced. Like, they're going to continue the same exact behavior patterns. So people are like, always, you know, have shocked P- Pikachu faces that, like, the reason that they're getting divorced, that person continues to do that thing, even right. on a higher level. It's like, yeah, I was they did. Yeah, and amplified. Yeah, they often yeah. amplify it to another yeah. level. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, you expect them to act, you know, better and civilized. And it's like, nah, most people just turn up under stress, honestly. So separation and divorce definitely brings uncertainty about the future. You know, kind of what will life look like without the partner? Will you find somebody else? Will you stay single? Will you be able to co-parent well together? And these unknowns often seem worse than being in a ha- unhappy relationship. It's like, you know, this is the devil I know. So I'm going to stay in this unhappy marriage because I don't actually know what's out there. And I'm not, there's no shame in either of these choices, honestly, for me. Right. No, definitely not. And and that's why a lot of people do. They stay in, you know, the, we are just living together relationships Mm -hmm. because the fear of the unknown is, is so 
huge. I see that a lot um, with relationships mm-hmm. that are not, you know, when it's like not physically abusive and not sexually abusive, but it's like there's kind of like low level. Just cold. Yeah. There's maybe some low level emotional abuse, very low and just kind of like distant and just. Yeah teamwork stuff that stuff can really go on for for a long time and honestly who are we to say what's better or worse because like right there are are cultures where arranged marriage is a thing you know and it's really just more of a teamwork partnership approach than it is necessarily like a love match and yeah you know some people that that is consistent with their values It's, it's better for them to be there that's what they feel um so yeah that can happen for a while and most people who experience divorce find themselves struggling with feelings of fear, exhaustion, maybe some embarrassment, mm. maybe some relief, both patience, yeah. resentment, helplessness, doubt, anger, sadness, guilt, grief, confusion, betrayal, insecurity, isolation, and even maybe regret, right? Aww. It's a big convoluted ball of crazy conflicting emotions. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, the significance, the process of separating can also trigger past traumas. So it can be a trauma trigger. Yes. Um, it can uh, kind of kick off your issues around attachment and deregulate your emotions. And mm-hmm. people who have a struggle with addiction in their history, they might kind of go back to that struggle or they might kind of use substances at a higher rate, partic- particularly as the emotions rise and the intensity mm-hmm. rises. You might think... If this is the right choice for people, why do all of these mixed emotions surface? Well, again, we're venturing into the unknown. And that's anxiety provoking. You know, you plan to have a certain life, a certain future with this other person. And it's just so incredibly challenging when the trajectory suddenly shifts and we have to adapt to a new way of living. Mm hmm. You know, so when someone is going through a divorce, they're finding themselves in a very complex form of grief. Mm-hmm. They have lost their family, and yet everyone's still alive. Oh, God. All the family relationships and dynamics are going to change, and it creates just a great deal of those mixed emotions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it can be extremely isolating as well. So because of the separation, sometimes friends and family feel the need to pick sides. And so Mm -hmm. people you once felt really close to, you might not have the same relationship with. Or some people struggle to provide support as they project their own relationship issues or experiences onto the matter. I've had that happen before. Um, Yeah, I I think this is a this is a. (laughs) (laughs) this subject is both personally and professionally within my wheelhouse. I'll say that much. (laughs) I've, I've seen a lot and experienced a lot. Um, and this is, I think both like clientele wise, um, I've been close to a lot of situations like this, let's just say. And so, and I think like, if I think about for me, in a situation that is like a very long-term relationship ending, I think the hardest part is like feeling uh, just like adrift, um, yeah. feel, feeling adrift in a sea of like, what does my day even look like? What does my structure even look like without this person? I used to do mm-hmm. this at 9 a.m. and this at noon and this at the end of the day. And this is the person I used to call. And I would share these sorts of things with this person. And um, then that's yeah. suddenly gone. The entire structure of your day is just kind of like obliterated and you're having to relearn a new structure like from the ground up. And I think that part's mm-hmm. really, really hard. And people don't talk about that enough. Just this like feeling yeah. totally adrift 
Um, and let's say that you don't always have like, let's just give an example. If you didn't always have the most supportive family, if you're going through a divorce, um, and you know, your family is rough, like that person became your new family. And so it's really hard to Mm -hmm. detach from them on some level. Um, even if you know, it's Mm -hmm. the right thing. And then I think another really, we've kind of talked about this, but another really challenging part is just like, am I making the right decision here? Like, yeah. is this a dumb idea? Am I being stupid right now? Am I just being too much? Am I being overkill? Should I just, have I done everything I can to try to work these things out? Those right. thoughts really surface a lot, I think, for people. And then finally, I think another thing is um, you, you talked a lot about the kind of like, you've lost your family, but they're still alive. It's like you've mm-hmm. lost a future too. Like, yeah. You have all of these dreams about what something's going to look like, who's going to be holding your hand at your bedside when you're dying. I mean, you literally have like whole dreams. Like you've maybe created children that didn't exist. Maybe you created a house that didn't exist. Maybe you've created like a future that never came to be. And you are having a funeral for all of these hopes and dreams. And I think that part is especially hard. And I think if you haven't gone through something like this, it doesn't make the same amount of sense. And I do think when you come out of it, like you're different, you're a different person. Like you got to learn yeah. A, yeah. a totally different skill set. And I just, I always go back to like the Harry Potter thing where it's like, you know, he sees the creatures that pull the carriages afterwards after oh, he, after he mm-hmm. experiences trauma. Like, I just think it changes you in the way that yeah. you interact with people and things. I, mm-hmm. I think you well, see. Well, because it is, it is kind of a trauma. It really is. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. so heartbreaking and it's such a loss. And you're, like you said, I mean, God, you really had such a envisionment of your life with this person mm-hmm. and you've came you have fought for it most likely in mm-hmm. every way you can think of mm-hmm. and so you've made the decision all right we we gotta we gotta do this but then like you said you still find yourself being like okay but am I doing the right choice like should I yeah. have is there did, was there something that I didn't do that I could have done yeah and then you're in that separation and you're like oh this just happened I want to call them oh wait mm-hmm. no I can't you know like yeah oh my god guys yeah, it's a lot. So for those of you who are going through this right now, like know that we have the highest degree of empathy for this. Yeah. And, you know, I think too, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said like you want to call that person and you want to pick up the phone. Like they're not deceased, but they are to you because you feel like you're the one that killed them. And that's like a really, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like guilt associated with that, I think yeah. too. And it depends on, you know, who initiates the divorce as well. Like who initiates, even if it's just a very, very long-term relationship ending, like who said, Mm -hmm. like, this is not fixable. I've tried. And this is just like an impasse that we cannot move through. Mm -hmm. And I genuinely, yeah, I genuinely think that like if you're the initiator, there's a lot of like guilt and sadness that comes with that. And I think if you're Mm -hmm. the one on the receiving end, you wonder a lot about like, was I not good enough? What right. what happened here that um, this person no longer loves me? And I think... Right. Was there something I could have done differently? Even though yeah. they probably did say other things you yeah. could have done differently, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But like, at the end of the day, like sometimes it's the kindest thing is mm-hmm. to say your piece and be done and to let that other person, you know, go and to... Yeah give them the opportunity to be loved the way that they deserve to be loved and to give yourself the opportunity to be loved the way that you deserve to be loved. And it doesn't mean that like, 
that's the other thing. Like, it doesn't actually mean, like, that you don't love them. You do. Right. And that's the other complicated factor is, right? You do. You still have feelings for this person. You still care deeply about this person. You still want them to have a a good life. Like, even if it's messy, even if there was freaking abuse, right? Yeah, you still want them to have a good life. We still have feelings and deep emotions towards Mm -hmm. this person, but we recognize the... Again, the the incompatibility, the conflict, whatever yeah. it is, we recognize that it, the future that we dreamed of isn't going to be like that. Yeah, it's yeah, that's exactly it. Is like when you start to realize like all the hopes and dreams you had, they're not moving in that direction, and they can't right. move in that direction mm-hmm. anymore with that person. Like that, that person stands in the way more than they facilitate the hopes and the dreams, and that's. Right. That's when things get dicey. And it doesn't erase all of these positive memories you had with that person. No. And sometimes that's what's hard, too, is we mm-hmm. find ourselves looking through the rose-colored lenses and we're, like, mm-hmm. reflecting on all those little good moments. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, fuck, mm-hmm. am I fucking up right now in this separation? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to remind yourself of why that decision was made mm-hmm. so we don't make that phone call so yeah. we don't like you know drop the ball and then yes. kick the can down the road for a year later when we decide to do it right yeah <laughs> amen amen to that better to rip off the band-aid in many circumstances that's absolutely true so uh, we're we're certainly turning this into a mini series and so that today we're just kind of like talking about like the things that go behind a divorce and some of the reactions mm-hmm. um And we'll kind of go to part two next week where we talk a little bit about coping and children and co-parenting, et cetera. Um, But for this week, let's think about outside of podcast experimentation. So I don't have necessarily like any real issues in my marriage right now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm Mm -hmm. I'm pretty happily married. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just want to take some time to make sure that I am being like affectionate and engaging with my partner in meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. You know, when a kid comes into the the mix, like sometimes you just like get in the cold routine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean that in like a great, like a loving mm-hmm. way, like you just kind of just are doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to make sure that I am meaningfully engaging and connecting with my partner, I think this this week. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like a that's a really great skill. I think mine is very much on like the client end. I have a mm. a, a buttload of clients right now who are going through divorces. Um, yep. And I think my piece of it is just focusing on validating their choice. I think there is so much like they're already making the choice, right? They're already going through yeah. this decision. And I think a lot of it is like, a lot of them are in the second guessing phase, but they mm. initiated it for a reason. They made this choice for a yes. reason. Um, nobody wants to go through this choice. Like it's not a fun thing. No. So if you have kind of come up with the hoodspud to do it, then there's a reason. And so just kind of reminding them of that and validating their choices and being supportive moving forward um, and not, you know, just continuing to keep the non-judgmental stance that's fairly easy for me here honestly um but mm-hmm. it's just like a good reminder to just be aware of for clients um so yeah i think that's going to be kind of kind of my homework this week all right so do you have a joke for me i do i have i do divorce couples in colorado are having trouble deciding who gets the marijuana mm. the judge has started issuing joint custody (laughs) i like that a lot (laughs) yeah that's really funny 
Uh, okay, I got one for you. This okay. is just more like relationship jokes. So, uh, my significant other asked me to play doctor. It was kind of like, oh. ooh. So I kept him waiting outside the bedroom door for an hour. <laughs> uh, okay, I got one more. Maybe appropriate, maybe not appropriate. Let's see. Okay. Uh, losing a significant other can be hard, and in some cases, it's damn near impossible. <laughs> uh, on the note of divorce. Yeah. How are Republicans and Democrats like toxic divorced parents? Uh, nobody wants to hang out with them and they have to share custody. <laughs> I don't know how. They care more about you hating the other party than they do about your well-being. <laughs> a little political. Got a little political. Ow. I actually think that's funny. <laughs> I actually think that's a little funny because I don't think okay. anybody gives a shit about anything. <laughs> It's all money, bottom and top. Anyway, um, we, you know, Michaela and I are like basically uh, not. I don't think we're full blown conspiracy theorists. I just think we like <laughs> we're we're behaviorists, and when we see behaviors that n- people don't really care about us, it's like kind of easy to make the jump. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we smell thank the you. blood in the water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you all for your time and your life minutes this week. We so appreciate you and everything that you give to us by listening. We love the write-ins. And uh, reminder, if you'd yeah. like to support us, we do have a Patreon. It's www.patreon.com forward slash shit your shrink things. And so go ahead and put a tip in there if you're interested. If not, if financial support isn't an option, feel free to like, subscribe, rate, and review us or follow our podcast. It helps us gain viewership. Yeah. Do it. Do it. And we will do check you all on the other side with part two of this mini series. Yep. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.